thank you everyone for joining us. As always, this is Nuance, and I am Mike Scala, joined by Jay Carter, also known as Timid, the hip hop MC and the chair of BLM Tokyo. What's going on, Jay? Uh, what's going on? <laughs> Early mornings and everything. That's right. Good morning to you out there in Japan. Yeah, man, for sure. And we have a very special guest with us. This is a bit of a throwback, Jay. Remember the one, two, one, two days. Right. We had the radio show. Yes, sir. Got another hip hop MC with us. Q Unique, now relocated to Cali. Yes, sir. Good afternoon. Yeah. Good morning. Good evening. Wherever you're at. <laughs> wherever you're at in the world. <laughs> yeah, we're in all different time zones right now. Yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, it's it's actually good. Really good connecting with you. It's it's been uh it's been quite a minute. Yeah, it's been. Wow, I don't even remember what 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 year are we talking with that first uh, interview, two thousand five. That's right, it was two thousand five. And check this out, I just came across this tape. See that? Wow, That's what a is dat that? Too. That is a a dat tape. Yeah. Right. What from the that camcorder that we had? In fact, that is oh, it's a pop this oh, thing okay. in right here. Hold on. That wait, wait, you have video? We took video. We took video. Wow. I don't remember that. That is insane. I don't remember doing video. What was? I must, it must, I must have sounded at such a high level of pure ignorance. <laughs> nah, no, nah, no. Nah. I remember actually, like you, you stay, like you, you have a high level of dedication. Like you came out to Long Island for for the show, like and. We hadn't connected before, and I, don't, I don't, didn't know, you know, how you and Mike had connected. And you came out to to Long Island um, to do the show, and so yes. like, I thought that was really like, dope. I was trying to like turn this thing around. I've got it on my video screen here, on the actual you camera. You have the camcorder, like who has a camcorder? Yeah, with tape? just I mean, like handy. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, what? Now, if I unplug it, I think the battery is going to die. So it's kind of like an awkward position, oh, but it is on here. I am watching. I don't know if we can see that. Maybe we'll have yeah. to pull that up sometime later and like, uh, I don't know, chop up some like reels or something out of it or something. So throwback. I do video. remember, you know, what's funny? What What's funny is how certain things stand out in your memory. I think at that time, I was just starting to get my toes wet uh, with uh, doing rock music. So I, I believe that some of my answers at that time proved that I didn't really have a, a, a good understanding of what I was getting myself into. Whereas now, so many years later, I, you know, I've, I've toured with Stillwell and done shows with King's Bounty and recorded with a couple of other bands. And the understanding is so much different now to what I'm doing. And I've, yeah. I've done a lot to to solidify my, my own space and on, on this planet that we've created with Stillwell and all the other things that I've done from going to the opera school in, in on 30, 30th street in Manhattan and having a vocal coach and playing guitar. And so much has changed since that initial uh, uh, interview. I remember I something no, from that interview where we asked you about singing cause you were mentioning rock music and yeah. I like we said, is so are you singing and you said it's not really singing it's more of a scream now it's singing i i i it's and it's been singing it, was, it took time for me to to 
took not not a lot of time, but it, it took some time for me to understand what it was that I was becoming a part of. And when you, it's, it's like rapid. It's like once you really dive in and, and you look at the different ways of doing this and the different sounds and the different uh, uh, avenues, then you, 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 you uh, with time and patience and dedication, you get to know where your lane is and what works best for you. So that's, right, that's right. what happened since that, since that interview. That's what happened. All right, that's the exact same thing I was going to bring up because that, that sticks out in my mind too because you were talking about the different ways of like how you have to use your throat this way and, mm. and do it. Um, but that's a good analogy because uh, a lot of people, when they look at rapping from the outside and they're like, oh, you're just, oh, it's just like putting a couple of rhymes together. But there is much more depth to it yeah. when writing, you know, coming up with different ways of writing, different types of um flows and patterns and all of this type of stuff you can get much deeper into it and so it sounds like you've come to that same you know realization or that same understanding through experience when it comes to singing for rock yeah it actually helped me go back and reflect on what i was doing in hip-hop as well because around that time when you guys interviewed me back in 2005 uh, you know i went from arsonist had ended I went solo, and when I went solo, I, I became this very aggressive, very angry person. It was like mm -hmm. a public exorcism, and I was airing out so much personal stuff that had made me and, 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 and made me the person and the writer that I was, but I did it in such an aggressive way that it took time for me to even figure out, well, how do I want to do this? And, and what is it that I'm doing? Why did I do it that way? And where do I really feel more comfortable? So today, like when you listen to the like, maybe the last two Q Unique albums, Black Coffee and, and The Mechanic, and the one that I'm about to release, I'm, I'm now I'm in a, a place where I'm, I know who I am and what I do. During that time, losing the arsonist definitely threw me in a, in a dark room. I was like, okay, what am I supposed to do? And now I'm in a better place. Yeah, you've got several um, solo albums under your belt since then, um, yes. as well as as several rock albums. Yeah, so got a lot of track. Uh, that you By the released. way, for those watching the video, that was 2005. Q Unique on the screen briefly there. <laughs> <laughs> that's crazy, man. So yeah, that's 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 really interesting. Um, so you did mention that there is a Q Unique album coming yeah. out. I'm actually doing a series. Knowing if you're really paying attention to what's going on with music, it's become music has now attached itself to social media. So what what does that mean? It means that you have to be uh, your your product and your output have to like quadruple. You just yeah. you have to become a machine. And uh, returning back to Q Unique, because there was a moment where I, I, after the mechanic, where I wasn't sure I was going to return to it again. I, 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 wasn't, I wasn't sure what I was looking at anymore. I wasn't even just talking about myself. I was just talking about the genre. The genre is, is in a very interesting place. And it took like family and friends to like, talk me through it and say no you, you got to maintain it it's your legacy and it's not something you could just easily just let go of so many people know you for that and 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 enjoy you for that and it's something that 
you obviously enjoy if you take some of the elements of business away you do enjoy it so don't don't let it go um, and once that happened i had to think about what was going on with how music was being churned out so much so i came up with this thing called the seven series where i'm going to do uh, an album uh either every six to seven months and it's only seven songs and it's it's almost tipping my hat to to the era that i came up in which was you know out of the nation of islam and and the five percenters and and, and the dealers and 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 that vibe i'm not i'm not trying to relive an old school time and 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 i'm not doing that lyrically i'm not trying to bring people back but it, it was my way of paying attention to the number seven and all the lessons that I learned through Zulu and, and coming up in, in Brooklyn and, and in New York during that time. It was just just paying homage to that number and, and what it means to those that know and, and carrying that along with these albums. So each album will only have seven songs. And right. but it'll be, I'll be churning out more often. Right. Now, you you. You said something that that's really that's really true today as far as how music, especially releasing music, is is tied to to social media. And um, I've talked with some people who are trying to put stuff out and and try to put certain things to, into perspective. And I had to come came to this kind of um, realization some time back that in in the, in the, the the eras that that we came up through. We were marketing the music. We were trying to, to, you know, we got a single out. We got this snap. We're pushing that. But now it's not about marketing the music. No. It's about creating content. And your music is in that content. Yes. And that that is what creates an audience. And then with that audience, you can push whatever to, whether it's music or whatnot. But that music, instead of like, okay, boom, I just dropped this single. Check it out. And you put up a post about it and that's it. Now it's like you need to take that piece of that post or that music and create like 20 different pieces of content yeah. with that as the backdrop. And now that's how you push it. Because then if right. it's in the backdrop, it's 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 kind of it's kind of like a TV commercial in a way or whatever. Yes. They hear it, a flyer, no it visual is, flyer. Yep. Right. No matter right. what it is, they hear that song in the background or they see that in the content and now they're being hit with it. You're hitting them like seven, eight, nine, ten times that same song. Now it's stuck in their head. Now they go look for it. Yes. But yeah. even back then, though, Jay, we used to acknowledge that the artists with longevity were the ones who people cared about. People, you know, people invested right. more in the artists. So you have people who maybe dropped a song and it could have been a hot song. But if you want the staying power in the industry, you had to make people care about you. So really people were yes. selling their stories. And and so right. that's really similar to what it is now. It's just the way it's done is, is different. That's true. Yeah. That's true. That's and, true. You, and you have to become, what I notice is that the, the, the people that really pop are the ones that make a spectacle of themselves, whether it's, and you could go extreme. You could go from MF Doom, MF Doom rest in peace, all the way to Cardi B. And- right. They, they, their characters are so much bigger than the music itself at times because they made such an interesting spectacle of themselves, whether it's wearing a mask or acting the way they do or communicating with the, the public the way they do. And it's about being a spectacle, but you have to figure out which spectacle works for you. Right. You can't just pick a random spectacle and make an ass out of yourself and then all of a sudden regret 
that you threw yourself in front of the train like that. You have to really figure out what spectacle works for you and then move forward. Like my, my, my homie Mems, <clears throat> it finally right. clicked. He's doing bing bong and don't ever disrespect. Now I've known Mems for over a decade before this even happened. And he, he's been going at it for a long time and really dedicated. One of the few that were really dedicated and had to overcome some crazy adversities. But he's a spectacle, man. He gets yeah. it. He yeah, gets right. It. But you know what's yeah, funny? He's really good, and he's always been good at branding because as soon as you said the name, you know what popped in my head, right? The catchphrase. Bing bong. He's had for, forever. I'm talking about the yeah. F your life. Oh, yeah. That yeah. F your life. That's yeah. the other one. Yes. Yes. I think, to me, I think it really popped recently was with the don't ever disrespect me. Yeah, that, that's uh -huh. working. The bing bong worked first. Yeah. And then obviously that ran its course and the Byron thing that he did. And then right. don't ever disrespect me. So he's, he really figured it out. And that's a good, it, it, it lends itself really good to the, the, the TikTok and the, the quick short form yes. content type of thing. And it's, it's humorous and you know, it, it, yeah, that's, that's kind of how people are, are doing that. You know, I tell yeah. people as far as when they want to, um, say release a, a single in a video it's like now first you want to you know with that single you can get like a bunch of posts off it like you start off with with the 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 post of the um the album cover art talking about mm -hmm. you know maybe it's coming soon then when you go to to, to drop a, a video maybe do a teaser and then you know yep. you go to do a, a lyric video uh or before the lyric video do an audio only video with just the cover then you do a lyric video then you can do the official video now you've got like seven different times that you've tagged somebody with the song and so you've got more chance that they're going to reach out and and you know spotify or, or download the, the the mp3 or whatever and videos like what what nims is doing you know yeah what, what we you know what's what's cool is that with Stillwell, what we figured out this time around with this new album we have a new album right and it's done but it, we didn't put it up on Spotify. What our plan with Stillwell is, is we're going to release one song at a time. And with that one song, that's, so that's one song a month until next year. And with each song, we're doing a podcast about the song, which is more, it's not really a podcast. It's more of like talking behind the scenes about yep. said song. And then after that, we are remixing the song into a different genre. So we're giving you two versions of one song, talking about the song, and then in between just promoting it. And, and the reason why we didn't put out the album right away is because, and, and everybody knows it, is that the attention, attention spans are so limited that just giving somebody 10 songs and saying, yo, marinate on this, they're gonna give right. you what, a week tops, right. two weeks? You know, yeah. and then after that, it's on to the next. So we right. were like, no more, no more album, it's like, one song digested here's the remix same lyrics same song digested and next month we give you another one it's yeah. like it's almost like slowly feeding a person right. so that they that's get the problem that's the problem if you can spend two years working on a 15 song exactly. album out two weeks later all right when the next 15 songs drop it it's like exactly. right. that's two years of my life go <laughs> right. that's why with the q unique thing what i'm going to do is i'm going to test test out this seven series thing with the first and there is a chance that I might deviate from the plan and just after I put out those seven, because I haven't been out in a while, just drop a song here. I got, I got enough songs 
on the hard drive where I could drop a song here, wait two weeks, here's another new song, here's another new song. And I could take my time with all of the songs that I have when it comes to Q Unique. So it depends on how I see the reaction to, to what it is that I'm doing with that brand. But with Stillwell, we are definitely locked in at one song a month with a remix and we'll ride it out for the next year. And so far it's been working well. The numbers have been uh, climbing and we just, by the grace of God, we just got a call from ESPN that they love our latest release. And we were tripping because it's a, we're, we're, we're doing it ourselves. There's no label involved. There's no managers. There's no nothing. It's just three dudes in a band with, with family members around us that are helping. And that's it. And, right. I, and, and I'm rolling with like Fieldy from Corn and Wub from POD. These are these, they're veterans well beyond my capacity of what they've experienced selling millions and millions of records. And right. they, they, they're bringing it, they're coming back on down to my level where it's like independent, do it ourselves, roll up our sleeves, mail out the CDs, the people that order it, mail out the t-shirts. Like these guys are doing it with me. And it's amazing to watch on top of the fact that we're slowly feeding the world our music one song at a time. And the thing with one of the things that you're doing, I thought you were going to say one of the reasons you're doing one at a time, um, not only attention spans, not only the way that people digest things and, and get over it really quickly, but also this is how um, Spotify kind of changed the music industry. Yes. In that if you release an album today, that's got like say 10 songs on it, you can only, you can, you know, apply for potential playlist spots for one song. And then when you're ready to push the next single, let's say in like, you know, two weeks, four weeks, they don't want to hear it because the, the album's been out been a out. month now. Yeah. Now it's old. Yep. So like, they want you to put a single out like every month because then you can repeatedly go for playlist spots each time. So I, yeah. I've kind of like, um was advising someone recently to try it that way if you've got a seven album uh seven track album release each one as a single and then after that's done you know so you can try to apply for playlisting plus you get content and then after that's done then you can put the full project out and maybe put a bonus track on there or something yes. like that. that and that that was the other thing that i i neglected to i forgot to you know mention was spotify just like you said spotify changed the game that's it. Yeah. There's there's nothing we could do. It's just, it's it's clearly a singles game now. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I was going to say that also, cool. and that also affects the music. I mean, obviously, songs are shorter now too because of the Spotify algorithm. Yeah. But also, right. there's really no album cuts anymore, right? It's, it's such a singles-driven market. An album of seven songs really is an album of seven singles these days. Right. So I'm I'm actually cool with it because. You know, as 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 everything was changing, you, I'm putting out music and I'm watching the music world change. I, I was saying this about releasing a song at a time, maybe two, three years ago, because I was noticing bigger bands release, you know, albums. They Tool hasn't released an album. I, I forgot what the number was over 10 years. And they released an album. This is a band that millions and millions of people love. And it kind of like. I felt like it was forgotten within a month and it has nothing to do with them or any disrespect to them. It's just where the world is at, where it's just yeah. people that get it and next, get it next. Yeah. So it's something that I've noticed for, for a while. And, and amongst other people, we were saying to each other, like we probably should just go song for song. And it feels like most people, including myself are kind of nervous about that idea. 
because we're so programmed that the whole preparation of putting an album together, the artwork, this, that, and the third, and you put it out, you want people to listen and vibe to it. But Spotify, like you said, it changed the game. The album shit is almost, it's almost extinct at this point. Well, you could do the same thing, but it's just over a longer period. Like if you right. have, say, say you have a seven, seven track album, and you've got it like, you know, back in the day, you when you put the album together, you specifically put songs in a certain order. You had a specific concept in mind for the whole project. Now it's just telling that exact same story, but over a longer period. So instead yeah. of dropping at once, that story can marinate for seven months in the same progression and then use other content per month to bolster each chapter of that story to make it even more of an in-depth um experience so you know you can it can still be done that way it's just a longer process and it also what you're saying it kind of like separates those who are dedicated from the lazy last minute people because the minute you know like let's say we set out a plan seven songs and i have to create content for seven months based on seven individual songs that means I got to roll up my sleeves and really think about how I'm going to do this all the time and not get in my own way. Because the other thing about content is at times you don't have to concern yourself with how am I dressed and how's my face and what's my background. Sometimes you just got to put up and, and, and let's get it going, man. Just post the TikTok right away. Let's go. Let's go. And, yeah. and don't overthink it. But but it gives you it gives the artist way more responsibility than just handing in an album to a label and then just sitting back and seeing what the staff is going to do, which they they never did anything anyway, in my opinion. So, well, somewhat. But now it's really up to the artist to really step up and become responsible for their own work, which is something we should all we should have all been thinking. Yes. 20, yeah. 30 years ago. Well, that sounds like a TED talk right there from Q Unique. And I know, <laughs> Jay, you just did one of those yourself, right? Yeah, this past week has been um, has been pretty exciting. Um, otherwise, uh, uh, a not so great year that I've been having. Um, so I went up to, to Tokyo for the first time in three years. And I was a guest lecturer for two different classes at Temple University, uh, Japan, and Tokyo. We were talking about um one of them was a class on american social movements and the other was on the importance of race in america so um i spoke i spoke to those uh topics there um covering things like um you know blm and racism and the need for these types of movements right. and then the next day i did a a ted a ted talk a tedx talk uh speaking on uh, people joining movements and trying to get a call to action for people to, you know, to do some sort of a change, whether or not, not necessarily having to join an organization, but you can even just take a, a, a change in yourself and how you, how you are, re reassess your biases and, and where you're at. And that makes a change because everything is all ultimately a step in the, in the same direction towards that outcome of whatever it is that you're trying to highlight or, or you know, raise awareness for. So it went really it went it went really great. I was I was excited to do it. Um, you know, I had some other four other speakers 
that spoke that day was um, really great. Uh, two of them were high school students. One was actually a Temple University of Japan student. I didn't know that before. And the other person was the uh, vice president of Warner Brothers Discovery in Japan. Mm. And so these are the other the speakers. So I was um, ask yeah. you, Jay, what is the difference between a TED Talk and a TEDx Talk? Is it more people involved? Well, TED Talk, so TED has, um, it's, a, it's an organiza organization unto itself and they hold their own conferences. TEDx, they allow, they give licenses for people to hold independently organized uh, conferences under the TED banner. And then all of that content goes to TED or TEDx for their website and for the YouTube stuff. Yeah. Gotcha. Well, sounds like a so, good experience. No, it was great. Good experience. I enjoyed it. That's so. dope, man. Excellent. So I guess we should get to our poll question. In fact, Q is a good guest for this one because you obviously are from New York and now you're yes. out to Cali. And I know you've noticed the difference between the way of life, lifestyle, and in particular, the noise. Last week, we had a guest on who authored a book about noise levels and why they're not healthy for us and how some people even have developed a tolerance for the noise in a city like New York, let's say, mm -hmm. not realizing that it's invoking our fight or flight response. It's contributing to poor mental health outcomes. It's doing a lot under the surface that we may not even know just being in it. But I'm sure you getting out of it probably noticed a difference right away that maybe when you were in it day to day, you didn't see. No. Yeah, uh, that's it definitely uh, added to my anxiety, my aggression being in, in specifically Brooklyn, uh, living near a train station, living on an avenue where people were honking horns and sirens, you know, uh, the fire department running their drills down my avenue every day, uh, ambulance, garbage trucks. It, it definitely like gives you like this, this, uh, uh, this edge, if yeah. you will. And when I, when I came out here, the first place that, that I stood was at Fieldy's house. He, ha he has a house in Laguna Hills. And it's a direct opposite of what I was going through in Brooklyn. Nobody honks their horns. Everybody drives really chill. Uh, I, I don't think I heard a fire truck until about maybe a year into being in his neighborhood. Uh, and I noticed that people were just a lot more laid back. And, and what's funny, at first, when you're driving and you're seeing all of this laid back uh, attitude, I'm, I'm bringing this Brooklyn vibe and I'm like, what, you know, hurry up. And, you know, <laughs> and I can sense like my, like, does, you know, wanting to cut people off and, and roll down the window and do the typical New York thing. And then as time went on, I understood and it just made me just chill. Like my whole approach was just chill. And uh, the guy wants to cut me off, nothing personal. And, because in Brooklyn or, or, or New York, somebody cuts you off, you already see two guys swinging at each other in Miller Street. It becomes like a personal disrespect uh, uh, <laughs> situation. Over here, people are just trying. You know, I think, obviously, I'm, I'm talking about road rage, and I think that we just misinterpreted in New York based on all of the things that were given to grow up there, from, from the noise that you're talking about to to being in a rush to go everywhere, to getting out of people's ways. So you're building up this, 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 this uh, demeanor 
and it doesn't work anywhere else. I've, I've toured the entire planet. My New York demeanor does not work in any other city at all. If I go to the middle of Idaho and I start talking that craziness and that aggression, they're, they're going to think I'm an alien. They probably arrest me. <laughs> it's a, there's so much yeah there's so much poking at you even subconsciously in, in a large city like like new york that we that you know people like like mike said some people get used to it or they think they get used to it but subconsciously it is it is triggering you or it is has your your fight or flight response on a little bit of an alert all the time yes and it puts people like as you said on an edge and so that you know some if you're on an edge people can be quick to be triggered and yes. you know in my poll result it was actually 50 50 which i found interesting and the question specifically was do you personally feel affected emotionally or mentally by the noise levels in new york city half I yes do. half no but that tells me that people saying no are just used to it not that it's good mm -hmm. for them but they're just living right. in it you take them and put them in Cali, they'll probably see the difference also. Yeah, they'll trip out at first and like I did. And then you kind of like acclimate and, and say to you, and, and fortunately for me, because I've toured all over that you, you really take a step back and you realize, oh, I was just wired in, in a very right. aggressive way because of my surroundings. And I grew up, you know, in, in Gravesend, if you know anything about the history of Gravesend, you know what went what went on over there it was a very aggressive neighborhood very aggressive neighborhood you mean sammy the bull is from there you know so mm -hmm. that's what it was it was a wise guy neighborhood and 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 i was i'm a biracial child growing up in this uh this wise guy neighborhood and it was not only aggressive but for somebody like me very confusing mm -hmm. because you have a bunch of people uh calling you spick to your face and in your half italian so you don't know what to make of it and you can't explain and i remember having an incident when i had a job and, and uh, some guy came in the store and he called me a spick and it was weird and i had to tell the manager and it was it got really sketchy because it was all italian kids just looking at me complain but they didn't understand what it was that i was dealing with in my own head trying to understand and i was just a kid really trying to understand where this was all coming from it was confusing to me yeah. So it, it all it's all a part of that uh, growing up in, 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 in the neighborhood that I did from the noise to, to what I was seeing. So well, and like the people in the poll, I think, like you said, I don't think they, they realize or recognize that. Yeah, you, you're affected by it. You just don't recognize it. Um, yeah, I don't kind of reminds me when you, Mike, when you first came down to, to Florida to visit when um, I was out in Tallahassee. And I remember standing out front of of my house. Um, I don't know if it was when you first got in, but you looked up in the sky. This was at night, and you saw the stars, and you were kind of surprised. You're like, "Are those stars up there all the time?" <laughs> and I'm like, I'm "Like, yeah." And you're just like, "Yeah, you don't see those in New York." No, um, it's because you know the light pollution in New York blocks it out, but. Um, it's kind of the same, like with the noise, you don't recognize it. Like, no. I'm imagining you there in Cali, you're like, is, is it quiet like this all the time? <laughs> like, I think so. it depends on the neighborhood too. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Cali is really stretched out. And it was funny, somebody made a comment to me about New York versus Cali, and they thought that New York was segregated and Cali wasn't. I was like, no, you got it backwards. Cali is like spread out so much that you have sections of mm. the way I the way I look at it, tribes, 
tribes of different classes and ethnicities, whereas New York, it's a, it's a mixed bag. And that's how I saw it. Yeah. The neighborhoods in New York, though, are very segregated, but it's not as spread out like you're saying. And so you have more interaction, especially on the subway, for example. Right. And speaking of of aggression, now you're seeing a lot of incidents on the subway. People are very concerned that subway crime is up really more than it's been in a very long time. And the MTA recently came out and said that they want to ban people convicted of assaults from the subway. Now, there is something in the law already that says if you assault a subway worker, you can be banned from the subway, but that really right. is enforced right now. The MTA is saying that it should also apply to assaults between riders, so rider-on-rider rider violence should also lead to it, and they want to see that enforced. That what do you think like about that? There difficult. are definitely questions about that, but at the same time, we got to do something, right? So we start, got to start exploring different solutions, and I guess weighing the pros and cons. I I guess I would be curious to know how did they clean it up the first time? Because I know for me growing up during the golden era, the crack era, the subway was pure chaos. So how did they clean it up the first time is is my question. Mm -hmm. How how did they figure it out? Because (laughs) quite a few times I almost got murked on the subway, whether I was wearing jewelry or just minding my business. Yeah, absolutely. And that's something to keep in mind for perspective. It isn't as bad as it is back then, but it's still bad, right? We don't want it to get out of control. I think a lot of that is tied to economic factors. And when the economy improves, and that's that's not just a city thing. People always look at, you know, who the mayor is. The mayor doing good on crime. Look what's what's happening nationally. I mean, in the 90s, you had the dot-com boom, right? And under Clinton as president, you had a lot of prosperity nationwide. And that did have a big effect on the crime rate. And crime started to drop after that. So I do think these are the long-term issues we need to be looking at. All right, how we improve our economy, how we're going to improve education and and deal with mental health and all these different things. But you also do need a short-term response when it comes to public safety. You can't just leave it up to the long-term and say, well, it's going to correct itself over time. What are we doing now? Right. And something to look at. A lot of people are calling for more cops on the subways as a deterrent. Um, Again, just throwing cops at a problem isn't going to solve it. But if if there's an area where there's no police, somebody can't even get a cop if they want one, that could be a problem, too. Right. Well, from what I I read, I don't remember the numbers specifically, uh, but aren't they going to put like was like twelve hundred cops in the subway? Um, and MTA is also going to add some unarmed guards uh, into the subway to try to kind of tackle this this problem short term. Okay. Um, and now the, the law that you were talking about, um, like you said, it is on the books um, that a, a judge um, can bar people from using the subway if convicted for up to three years. But according to the, the commissioner of the MTA, not one single case has been done yet. And so he wants that to be that's the CEO leader, right? Right, right. That sounds like a very complicated, complex thing to carry out. Because what, what are you going to do? Yeah. Make people carry cards? Uh, how do you? Yeah, how do, how you, do you even do something right. like that? But I think it's similar to someone convicted of a sex crime being barred from, let's say, a, you know, being near a school. How are you going to enforce that? I think it's just a matter of if you if you catch someone there right. and it's that's on their record, then it's a harsher penalty. Yeah, that's tough. Hey, let me ask you this: Are a lot of the crimes are they youth crimes, 
or or is it like adults committing is it more adults committing crime or is it youth because like for instance i mentioned the cracker during that time there were a lot of kids my age just going around chain snatching and purse snatching but they were mm. kids and it, it, again it was out of desperation and poverty and, and whatever else that they had on their mind but i'm from what i understand there's a lot of like just angry people but no one seems to tell me whether it's youth gone wild or is it just adults that are just fed up and just losing their sh- their minds it's, it's a mix of both sometimes you do have kids who are hungry and and doing that kind of thing sometimes you have young adults doing it but sometimes you have older folks who are just mentally disturbed and that's right. a separate problem to deal with but you see a lot of that also like when someone will just randomly push someone onto the tracks that's usually an emotionally disturbed person yeah, yeah. and that seems to be happening a lot um and I think they should also look at other options too, not just adding cops. Because if it's a mentally disturbed person, you know they're going to push someone on the tracks, cop there or not. Maybe some other things. Like I know, for example, in 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 Tokyo on the trains, at certain stations there is a a wall at the edge of the track, and it goes it runs the length of the platform. And so when the train pulls up. it opens up when the doors opens up to allow people on the train so no one can get on the track now they didn't do it because people were pushing people on the tracks they did it because uh, suicide is pretty high in japan and one of the ways people do it is jumping on the train tracks um to to, you know commit suicide and so they put these barriers up on certain uh stations where it happened often so maybe something like that could be useful in new york in these areas or these these areas that it might be most susceptible to this type of um, attack right and new york always seems so low tech right like you look at japan you look at even other cities in the u.s it seems like they're more advanced than new yorkers i mean new york everything looks like so old-fashioned and behind the times which is weird because it's still the most important city in the states so you would think that even I mean, they, they they still can't even get the highway structure correct. They, since I was a child up until the point that I left, they still certain areas are still under construction <laughs> for decades, man, which feels like forever. And it's like they can't even figure that part of the deal out. So it's like, how, how are they how are they going to catch up? I don't get it. And if we're going yeah. towards recession, if that, if that is indeed what is happening, I'm not a financial wizard like that, but from, from what I've been told, but we're, we're leaning towards that. How is New York going to survive that? How's that going to work? How are they going to put things into play, all of these cops, all of these things, if, if money is scarce? I right. don't know. And if crime is bad now, it's only going to get worse with the worst Of course. Right. It, it, it'll go right back to the crack era. You know, it'll go right back. And that was a crazy time, man. There were certain neighborhoods you couldn't even think about. And I, and as a fool, I would go into these neighborhoods on the train, risk my life just to go meet some girl or go to some open mic or something. And go, going back to that would be crazy because a lot of people missed that, that boat. That was a crazy time, man. Yeah. I've seen a lot of crazy things during that time. So... I want to, I guess, segue a little bit from this into something related. But before we do, we wanted to ask the poll question for this coming week. And so I did want to get people's thoughts on this, this particular idea about trying to ban people from the subway who commit assaults on other riders. So poll question for the week is, 
do you agree that people should be banned from riding the subway if they've committed an assault on a rider? I personally agree. I just don't know how you would do it. It, it sounds like looking for a needle in a haystack to me. Sounds crazy. Yeah. But it, 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 I, I agree that it seems difficult to, to enforce, but um, it may be good to have on there, but I, I don't know. It just, yeah, it's kind of tough. And I don't know if you're going to intensify the situation too, because imagine if you got 100,000 people that are banned from getting on the train. Now what? You know, what, what are those people? Are they going to turn their anger into the streets? Are they going to wow. start like, wilding out in the street, shoving people in front of moving buses, cars? Right. Right. It's Robbing like kind of moving the problem from one place to another, yeah, not really like addressing the root of it. Right. right. So it's definitely something to look at. But I wanted to just, I guess, segue into this general idea of, if you're a Democrat running for office right now, how do you convince people that you're tough on crime or you have answers to address people's concerns about public safety? We're seeing this in a governor's race in New York and really around the country, but I'm focusing in on the governor's race where it's tightened and New York is known to be a democratic state. The democratic incumbent should have an advantage here, but recently you're seeing polls show it could be a toss up or you know could be even an upset for the Republican, which would be crazy, but it's, it's theoretical at this point. So I wanted to talk about that because the governor really started off her campaign and you know she's the Democratic incumbent, focusing on the Republicans uh, abortion stances and Trump support, right? That turned out to be not enough, it seems. It seems the voters want more than that. And they're focused really highly on this public safety issue. And so the governor has pivoted recently to say she's going to be tough on crime also. That's why you're seeing some of these initiatives announced in New York now, along with the mayor. But generally speaking, my question is, if you're a Democrat, what do you do running a campaign right now, trying to convince an electorate that you're going to be the right candidate to address public safety when people are very concerned about this issue? And there's a perception out there that Republicans are tougher on crime. That's the thing. It's the perception. I'm glad that you said that. I'm glad that you said that last sentence. I think the perception overall is that Republicans are just tougher, period. Never mind just crime. They come across as tougher people on almost every subject, whereas Democrats seem to take a very uh, soft approach to things or almost like a walking in the door too late approach. And it's frustrating to watch because now the Republicans, to me, in my opinion, some of them that I've seen, they they blurt out some crazy stuff, and 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 it's very aggressive, and it's 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 uh, over the top. Like I just fought, finished seeing DeSantis say something about not uh, teaching uh, uh, with the racial critical uh, race theory, right? In, in schools and uh, telling kids that we live in stolen land, it's not true, and you're like what are you saying, man? Like, but they're so aggressive that they're not even worried about the repercussions of what they're saying. It's almost like steamrolling through the facts or not looking at the details of what they're saying. And it puts them in this position where people seem to like the tough guys more than they like the more, uh, you know, uh, soft approach. And that's from my perspective. So I think that's the problem. I, overall, that's the problem. It's I like, think they picked that up from Trump. They they learned that. Yes, they they took this technique and ran with it. So Democrats are going to have to really combat that. But I think 
one of the ways they're going to have to do it is, is, is having a real plan. Um, you know, because what the Republicans are doing uh, and people like DeSantis, they're, they're throwing out these things. And again, it, it riles up their base, but there still has to be something behind it, I think. So I think some of the Democrats are going to have to bring a plan in place and maybe maybe be a little bit more firm in how they how they speak. Yeah, I, I, I'm with it. I, I, I would love for somebody to step up with the same level of aggression from from that side of the party and 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 just steamroll through it and and see how see how it's how they combat it how how they're going to go up again it, it's almost going to look like a rap battle at some point because it's like <laughs> people are just saying so much outlandish stuff yeah. both sides both sides are guilty of it i've seen democrats yeah. say some crazy things i've seen republicans say some crazy things and I feel like the truth is 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 a weird commodity these days. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's, well, it's a strange thing, man. To use your rap battle analogy, I mean, it kind of sounds like you're saying it's about delivery more than bars right now. I mean, both sides could have crazy bars, but yeah. it seems like people think that the Republicans are tougher just because of how they're saying it. Right? It's how so, they present it. Yeah, right. It's so almost like it's like, almost like. It's almost like the Republicans are on like NWA mode and the Democrats are like uh, diggable planets. That's that's how I see yeah. it. It's like you kind of yeah. look at it like this. This is this is such such an imbalance that it's insane. Common with the cardigan sweater. Right. It's 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 really weird to watch because you would think somebody in the Democratic Party would say enough is enough and step up and just hit it. Like, go for it, man. What, what do you got to lose? Right. Go. They're saying crazy things what do you got to lose what do you think you're worried about your fact checkers obviously that side isn't they're not concerned with any of that being canceled fact checkers any well, they're not concerned with anything yeah i mean i still would like to see democrats and just candidates in general speaking the truth and not right being full-on saying hey we're not going to care about if we say it's true we're not going to care about the fact checkers i mean i do think facts matter but it does, but it does. I take your point, it, though, about just that attitude, right? It's about the attitude. And it's the way right. you're presenting yourself. And, and there's nothing written in stone that says Democrats have to be soft. No, yeah, that, that, you know what? You're right. And, and I'll, let me correct myself. It's not if, whether they should be concerned about the truth. They should be concerned about the truth, but they need to present it in a way that they're, they're fighting for something. Not, they're right. not going to sway anybody with this, this passive uh, uh, movement. It, it, no, it's not working. It's not working. Right. It's not working. Maybe there's a handful of people that dig it, but it's not working. The and nobody is scared. Nobody, nobody's really that afraid of being canceled. So it's like, step up with some sort of like, you know, maybe they should go live in Brownsville for a year. <laughs> you know what, though? I mean, you, you joke, but I think there's a lot of truth to that because people find themselves in these bubbles and they think everyone yes. in the world is just like them and their neighbors. No. Different part of the city. And that's why I say New York City is segregated. I mean, you hit on it there. It's segregated in its own way because right. people in Williamsburg, for example, not to pick on them, but they, they can have different experiences. People in Brownsville. Right. You, you You're right. Get out there and You're see right. how other people are living. Right. And, and that... I think that's that's the disconnect for both parties. I think that mm. they just have their agenda and they move forward. But I think that there's, and not that I think, I strongly believe that there's a disconnect between a politician and a normal person that grows up wanting the house, the car, the money in the bank, the you know, the cable TV. There's a big disconnect there, <laughs> and I think that 
it, it would be nice to see a, a, a politician come out of one of these neighborhoods and really understand how life really works. Cause it is, it is a bubble. Like you listen to them and you're like, only a person that lives in a bubble in a fish tank thinks like that or sees right. the world like that. Yeah. yeah. That's going to be, it's, it's going to be interesting. Hopefully uh, they pull it out. I can't imagine a, a Republican New York. Especially has it, has, it, has it ever been? It had George Pataki, 94 was the last time. That was Man. Giuliani. Was that Giuliani? No, George Pataki was the last governor. Pataki, that's right. Yeah. yeah. And that, but Giuliani was under him at that time, correct? That's right. Giuliani, he was the last Republican mayor that we've had. And well, let's was... count Bloomberg. Bloomberg did run as a, as a Republican, but he was also he was an independent. I mean, he's kind of right. all over the place. And now he's a Democrat, right? Now, say what you want about Giuliani, and, and obviously I have a very mixed, mixed emotions when, when I think about that guy, but he did clean up the streets. I don't know how he pulled it off, but during his time, he, I, I, I'm sure it wasn't cool the way he did it if I went and I well, read the history. But I mean, I'll be honest. I think a lot of that was superficial. I think a lot of what, what it was, was you know, scrubbing the graffiti and things like that, which is good to do. I'm not knocking right. that, but I think there's a false perception out there that he single-handedly right, right, the crime right. rate. And that's what I was saying earlier. I really do think that was tied to the national economy. Clinton was president. That was a democratic administration and the economy improved everywhere, including New York city. And that's why you started to see crime go down. I see. See, you're going to know better than I do. I, I just remember little tidbits yeah. of situations. Now I know that, you know, us in the street, we weren't happy with him at that time, but, I was at that time, I, I didn't really understand what I was looking at. So I was just following the crowd as to where they were leading me. And there was like instant hate for the guy. But now when I look at it, I would have to, somebody had said something interesting to me about politics. They were like, you have to be really foolish to really think that you know exactly what's going on. Because the truth is you have to be in the room with these politicians to really know what the agenda is and what they're what they're trying to do. And I agree with, I agree with that person. You know, you, you could get these, these, these tidbits from CNN and Fox and all of that, and they give you what they think is the correct information. But when you're really in the room, yeah. it's almost like saying, if you're really in the room during a, a record label situation with the band and, and the record label and the lawyers, and if you're in the room and you're seeing what's going on, that's way different from knowing what the fan is is right. trying to draw a conclusion from. And and I'm like, for instance, I'm watching one of my boys uh, in my band, Fieldy. He's in the band Corn, and the world, uh, like this fan base, his fan base, they seem to think they know what's going on with him because right now there's, you know, he's not touring with the Corn, and so everybody's coming to their own conclusion. But the truth is. You have to be in the room with the band to know what's really going on. So all of your conclusions, a lot of them are just so way off that I have to think of politics that way as well. Yeah. So I got to be careful with my opinion and what I'm saying, because I'm not really in the room. Mm -hmm. I don't no, you're really absolutely, know. absolutely right. But like we said before, perception does become reality because most right. people aren't in the room. Right. So they just right. pick up the sound bites here and there. And that's it's really so the a memes, problem right. with RSD, right? right? It's, it's a meme society that we live in. Um, it's it's a, it's a real problem, but it reminds me of someone who was arguing with me not long ago 
about politics in Queens and like I'm in politics in Queens. They right. saw something on Netflix and they thought that their information was better than mine. I said, what you see on Netflix isn't always the case. I mean, I'm really on the ground. It's like being in the streets, being, you know, whatever it is, like right. you're, you're closest to what's going on. You're in those rooms. You know that everything being presented is not always reality. Exactly. And that's my point. So I, I, I that's why when I, now when I talk about politicians, I, I, I tend to make sure that uh, I'm not firm on my opinion because I know I'm not in the room. And because of the way it's become, I, I kind of, I, I tend to just keep a distance from it and, and watch it, but I don't, I don't dive in like I used to because it's very divisive. And, and my thing is this team, Joe Rogan had said it, this team mentality that we've developed in this country is pretty intense. It's either you're on the red team or the blue team, or maybe you want to be in the middle team. And it's, it's pretty intense, man. It, it sucks that if, if, if you say your opinion now on the on dinner table, you could cause one of the biggest beefs of your life. And it's, an, it's crazy to me. It's I think it, that's definitely true. Um, I think though, at, at the same time, we've had kind of moved a little bit beyond where it's just an issues dis dispute uh, on many of these things a lot of it some of it is is also beyond issues it's more um you know just just not just political issues but like you know with with i guess going to trump like that wasn't just a political issue you know what i mean like right. he was being racist he was being discriminatory um he was being bigoted and those aren't just political issues those aren't you know um so when someone supports something like that that says something about them and their character as people not just about right. what they have voted on that says what they're okay with or what they support and so that makes it even more of a contentious topic to discuss when people's yeah. rights are at stake that's a different conversation than what's the so. tax rate Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, right. That, and it's kind of seems to be that's where we're at. Like an every issue seems to be a rights issue or, or something to that's that's such a high level or something so serious that there's really not a lot of wiggle room that people will allow when they're having their discussions because it's it's all or nothing right now. Right. right. Either you want it this way or you just you you hate me and you want my corpse to rot in the grave somewhere. Like it's right. Yeah. It's very extreme. Yeah. It is. But I do hope that folks will stay involved and stay engaged, even if they're not in the room, as most folks aren't. It's it's tough. It's really tough to do right now. It's because tough because the, drama the environment of, is the drama of it is is a turn off for me. For me. Yeah. The, the, right. the drama, the 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 disregard the disregardment of, uh, of truth of facts and when I saw the soundbite today of DeSantis uh, saying uh, what he said it was like wow man like no regard like he absolutely it almost feels like he's just going for it like a hail mary like f it man I'm gonna just go for it and just freestyle off the top of my head and if it comes out good yeah. if I win cool if I don't I'm going to fight anyway. And I'm going to say that it was a conspiracy. And so the whole thing is just bugged out to me. So that that level of drama keeps keeps me at bay where I just watch from a distance. And I'm like, what, yeah. what is this going to turn into? 
Right. You know? And the thing is, uh, if if um, if we you still have to pay, stay engaged because otherwise, then we leave it to people like DeSantis to run the whole narrative, and then now we're even further out. And I think, yeah. I, particularly, I think DeSantis is is very dangerous politically because he's going to spout rhetoric that he learned from watching how Trump did it. But I think he's smarter in the political game than Trump was. So he'll be able to navigate that worse or better, but to a worse effect right. in, in he policy. He could really divide us. He could really divide the whole thing. Yeah, he won't have the public image and, and, the, and like Trump has that type of following. But to understand the policy changes and the governmental changes, I think he's probably smarter in that arena than Trump, which makes him more right. dangerous. Well, he's a political OG, and Trump really wasn't a politician yeah. until he made the decision. Right. So that's yeah, why that, we that, need people to, you know, try to hold on and and not disengage entirely, because, like Jay said, once you do that, you kind of lose. We, we lose everything right. at that point. We, right. we need good people fighting back. You know? We need somebody, but we need somebody in, in in both political parties to put that man in check. That's the thing. Yeah. It's like that's what I mean about team. Yeah. mentality because right. somebody on his team should be able to look at just as a as, as a, a an intelligent <laughs> human being right and like pull him to the side and say cut it out stop right. it right. we have to fix this let's not make this work because i'm sure that there's got to be republicans that that see what's happening and they don't agree but they're they're being quiet because they're on the team but right. why are they being quiet though because they're the voters will potentially vote them out in a primary. Right. I mean, it, and, and that's why, why I'm saying people need to engage because right. ultimately it does come down to the voters. Um, right. Of course, the system is rigged in all kinds of ways. Is you know, campaign contributions playing an oversized role and all, all kinds of things. But at the end of the day, this is a democracy. At least we still have a democracy, I hope, right? We should right, hold, right. On, hold and strive for that. Right. So we need to make the use of it. Otherwise, we're going to lose it. Right. Someone, someone... Yeah. Like you said, someone on the team or even uh, uh, someone running, let's say, in, in the primary against them uh, in these these politicians saying these outlandish things needs to check them. But like, look, that is just blatantly false nonsense. And so there needs to be some of that error checking coming from the same side, Wh whether it's Republican or Democrat, whoever it is, needs to hold their, their, their feet to the fire to, to maintain this truth when they're they're campaigning or when they're talking to the people yeah hold them accountable hold them accountable yeah. saying telling people that america isn't stolen land and running with that and saying that that's a lie is one of the most craziest things i've heard coming from a right. politician's mouth that's crazy now you just reached a level of crazy we all know the history even we, we all know how how we all got here we all right. know that this is this is native american land we yeah. all know it, man. For him to say that, and I know I'm just harping on that one thing. I'm sure he said way more uh, <laughs> quotables, but that one I saw today, and I was like, "Wow, man, this yeah, guy's guy a nightmare." I saw that one, yeah. So, well, we're about at our time. We thank you for joining us, Q Unique. It was a great, lively discussion. Thank you. Man. We like to do is we like to give our guests the last word. We call it the bottom line. Anything you want to say to kind of wrap things up. Yes. Laura's yours. So Q Unique, what is the bottom line? The bottom line is, as far as what we were just talking about, 
it, it would be good for all of us to, to stay engaged, like you said, because now I'm, not only am I speaking, but I'm learning from you guys. Stay engaged and try to correct the narrative that even though America's history has a lot of darkness to it, that we could get to the place of not ignoring the wound, but healing the wound, everybody getting on somewhat the same page, deading the team mentality and moving forward as a, as a unit and, and, and everyone just striving for this, this, this place of, of prosperity because peace is, is, a, is a moment, you know, something that comes in the moment, but a, a place where we could just be intellectually and, and just spiritually in a better place. Yeah. You know, instead of me plugging an album and stuff like that, you guys could, everyone could just go to I, uh, Instagram and Facebook and look me up and see what's going on. But after having such a deep conversation like this, it just makes me want to say that instead. I, I think it's, it's, it's something that I desire. This team mentality definitely drives me crazy. And I would like for us to get away from that. Well, and, and that, I think that's a very, um, accurate set very good sentiment and I, and I hope for the same um but we'll give you the time it, you have the still will just released something recently and you said you do have um a q unique album coming up yes uh all right so uh still well what we're doing like i said you could go to stillwellrock.com and what we're doing is we're releasing one song at a time for the next uh i think uh, we got another 10 months of songs or, or 11 or something like that, but we're probably going to keep the machine going well after that. And uh, it'll be a new song, new video, a remix of the song, a, a video for the remix, uh, behind the scenes video. And, and it's been so far, we've only released uh, three songs. It was uh, Can't Stop Now, Can't Stop Now, the remix. And we just released a uh, uh, rock the house and in the video we pay homage to the beastie boys so if you get a chance to check that out you could go to youtube stillwell official or just go to stillwellrock.com and it has all the uh the social tabs and then as far as q unique uh right before i spoke to you guys i just wrapped up a q unique video today uh my second one filmed in california and uh and i hope to get that first seven series out in november now that the the second video is done so that's what's up that's that's dope so definitely be looking forward to that maybe i need to fly to uh you know i've had the pleasure of, of collaborating with you maybe i need to fly yes. to cali or you to, to to japan and we shoot videos for, for the <laughs> <laughs> that's right that'd be great so, but yeah so yeah definitely be looking forward to that and again appreciate you taking the time it's always good talking with you um and getting your perspective there's just more there's obviously more to you than music. And we've had conversations um, before. I remember at one point we had talked about uh, possibly doing a, a radio show or something you wanted, cause you wanted to talk about deeper topics. Yes. And so, um, so it was, it was good to have that conversation with, um, with you today. So appreciate you joining us. Thank you. Thank you guys for educating me because, because of the distance that I've been keeping the, the way you guys put it, it definitely helped sort out some of my own, reservations about what's going on in the world. So I, I appreciate you guys as well. What you guys well, are thank you. Thank you. And Jay, real quick, where can people find us? We are 
on YouTube. Uh, look up Nuance with Mike Scala and Jay Carter. Also, same if you're looking for the podcast version. It's on Spotify, Apple Music, Amazon, um, anywhere podcasts are at. And um, yeah, check us out there. Subscribe. Do all the YouTube things. Um, participate in the conversation. If you've got any comments, questions, or whatever, drop those in the comment section on uh, YouTube. Excellent. Thank you all. We'll catch you next time. Thank you. Peace, guys. Peace.